Hello, friends. Welcome to the Business and Beers podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Goo Goo. Better sleep means a healthier and happier you. Sleep is that important. I actually own a Goo Goo mattress, and I can say it's one of the most comfortable beds I've ever slept on. And Goo Goo is super affordable. Most great mattresses cost way over 100,000 yen, but Goo Goo prices start at only 70,000 yen. It comes in a box, it's delivered free, you open the box, cut the plastic wrap, and whammo, your Goo Goo mattress is ready to go. It's pretty simple. And now, Goo Goo is offering a special discount for you, the Business and Beers podcast listeners. Just go to gugu.jp, Goo Goo is spelled G-U-G-U, Check out their website, and when you order a mattress, enter BB Japan in the promo code box for your 20% discount. They offer free shipping, a 100-night trial, hassle-free returns, and a 10-year warranty. So, check them out at gugu.jp. Better sleep, better you. This episode, I chat with Chris Toma. Chris has worked in Japan for nearly 40 years and has been president of two major European consumer goods companies, including one in which he was my competitor. Chris really likes to talk and is a master storyteller with many pearls of wisdom. He's originally from Germany, so he too likes drinking beer and we both like talking business. I think you'll enjoy this fascinating conversation with Chris Toma. I like it. They don't have IPAs here. They do not. No, they don't. But do they change the the, the program once in a while? Um, on for this menu, no, they don't. But a do lot. they brew their own beer or do they have it uh, Itaku somewhere? No, no, that's the interesting part. They have their own uh, their own brewery. Yeah, the recipes are traditional German beer recipes, okay. but it's brewed in Hokkaido. Okay, very good. They found and a a craft brewery. And some. they are. So they ask a brewery to brew for them. Yeah, and he's German. Recipe. He's a German guy. In, in Hokkaido. In Hokkaido, who who does a, has a craft beer, and they the owners of Schmatz. In Sapporo. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's in Sapporo, but they just told me it was in Hokkaido. You know, there's there's a saying, uh, I, I forgot who said it, but it still remains in my brain. It says, look, when there is a chance, which seems to be good. Don't think about whether you are able to manage it or not. You just take it and afterwards you do all possible things to, to manage it. Richard Branson. He was it? Yeah, okay, Richard good, Branson good. said that. Something he said, if, if somebody offers you an opportunity, or if somebody offers you a fantastic opportunity you grab it. that you're not yet qualified for exactly, it, exactly. Take it, take it and become qualified <laughs> or get qualified you yeah. know that remembers me uh, how do you say this this uh, way of thinking yep is great when i bought my house in tokyo that was 20 25 years ago i didn't have any money a, a little bit but not enough for buying a house right there was a there was a a, a piece of land beautiful and i said i want to have this piece of land it I was just a, the land yeah, the land. It, was, it was the land, flat yeah. land. A flat so you land. had to build a house, and I had to build a house. Okay, it was so nice. So I said, I went to the agent and said, "Look, I buy the land and build a house, okay?" And we made the contract, one point five million dollars or whatever. And afterwards, I thought, "Oh shit!" Now I I bought a land, I made a contract, and to get out of the contract, it cost me a lot of money. So I went to the banks and so forth. And first of all, they, they everybody was laughing. 
everybody told me, look, Mr. Thomas, usually when you buy a land or you buy a, build a house, you first take care of your money and then you make a contract. And but I said, look, what can this opportunity is there only once in Tokyo. I got this open, this beautiful piece of land. Yep. I don't have the time to look for money. Yeah. I want to have this land today because tomorrow it's gone. Right. That's the reason why I bought this land. And it took me until the deadline was two days before the deadline and I had to pay a penalty. Yep. Two days before I, I found a bank who lent me the money. <laughs> but that's the only, and, and again, that's what Branson said, right? Where there's a will, there's a way. Especially if, uh, if the consequences of not being able to, to manage something it will be fatal, you will become the most creative person in the whole world. Necessity ah, okay, is, okay. The, the, the is the mother, mother of, invention. of invention. Exactly. Yeah, there yeah, you yeah. go. But, but that's it. What did you say? The necessity is the? Necessity is the mother of invention. Okay, that's it. And I remember when I went to join Triumph, that was in 84 or 85, Triumph was broken. It was a turnover of 100 million dollars, debt exposure of 30 million dollars and uh, completely lost business. So the owner gave us one year, you can do what you want. You turn it, the company around or I sell the company here. Okay, at least we have got one year, one year salary. And we, the only thing what we have to do is to turn it around. <laughs> we thought we need some advertisement, we need some uh, exposure to the public that people get to know us, but we don't have any money right. to spend for the exposure. So we, we need some crazy ideas where the press becomes so attracted that the press is coming to us right. and give us a hell of coverage. And the first thing I remember, we made a promotion that is still quite famous. We knew that the Japanese ladies tend to keep their underwear. They don't throw things away. In the drawers, there was an average of seven bras and 15 panties. Mm -hmm. That uh, was a result of our market research. And we said, okay, empty the drawers and make them buy new stuff. So we called the promotion, empty, empty your drawer, which means if a customer buys a bra, she gets a panty free of charge. And this promotion was going on for four weeks. No, if she brings back, no, no, if she brings back a bra, we give her a free panty because we wanted to empty her drawer. So at the end of the promotion, we had 250,000 bras collected. Holy that's cow. nice, but that's boring. So what did we do? We asked, we got in contact with the Zozoji temple in front of the Tokyo Tower and said, is there any way to make a, a Shinto uh, way celebration of a of a successful promotion. They said yes, we can make a bra kuyo, which a means bra, bra kuyo. kuyo. Yeah. Bra kuyo means yeah. the uh, in Shinto the the, the uh, celebration of a successful event. Yeah, kuyo sai. Kuyo sai. We had an event which was successful, and we got finally the okay from the Zozoji uh, temple, and we. We had an idea, we built up a pyramid out of the 240,000 bras. It was about 10 meters high, 10 meters wide. Then we got from Aoyama University the chorus of the, the university chorus. And then uh, we wanted to burn the bras. <laughs> of course, we cannot do that because of the environmental reasons. So some guys uh, in the, below the pyramid, they had the dry eyes and uh, created some smoke. So the smoke was coming out of the broad pyramid. University chorus of Aoyama uh, University sang the Ave Maria 
and that was tremendous. The whole country, the whole world was jumping on this. It was a multi-million dollar coverage. But the funny thing is that some conservative countries like Germany, they got it, they made a very negative uh, coverage and they say, can you imagine to burn brass in front of the St. Peter's Dome in Rome? Which is completely yeah. ignorance of culture. Sure. In, in Japan, if you can uh, celebrate the successful, uh, successful event, right. which is good for the economy, which is good for everybody. So you do it. And this story was going around the world for many years. It didn't cost us anything and created millions of dollars of coverage. That was necessity creates innovation, right? Absolutely. And since then, every year, twice, we have this kind of PR stunt yep. and nobody, no, not our biggest competitor, nobody even dared to copy us because that was our signature. Our signature. Yeah. And if somebody does the same thing, immediately everybody knows it's a cop. But I remember after that you did something every year. One year was like the world's most expensive bra. Yes. It had like diamonds and diamonds. rubies, exactly, yes, and yes. then every year you did something for like Guinness, like a Guinness Book of World's Record type of a yes. PR we, stunt. We, we also we always tied up with um, actual topics. For example, there was the anti-whaling campaign. Anti-whaling. Anti-whaling. Yeah. Yeah. So it's anti-whaling. It's a good thing, but we just created a bra, whereas like 100 years ago, 150 years ago, the bones. Uh, the wire and, and the corset, the bones have yeah. been made by whale bones. They didn't kill the whales because of the bones. Uh, the bones have been just a, a side product and they uh, used the bones in a meaningful way. And then we had a underwear whale wait, bone. Wait, so you, you made a bra out of whale bones? Yeah, a corset. And then we made a corset party on the cruise on a boat in the Yokohama Bay. Usually it, it's, it's boring, but since the whole country, the whole world was speaking about the whaling, anti-whaling uh, movement, yeah, yeah, yeah. the timing was just right. So we always looked for the social, how do you say, the... Current topics. The, the current topic. And that gave us the edge, that, that was the point. It's, it's easy to make extraordinary ideas, but it must be still socially acceptable. So it must go up to the edge, otherwise the press will not be interested and right. nobody will be interested but it still must be within the limit. Tell me any city in Japan. Kitakyushu. I was in every, everywhere. I was in every single... Amami Oshima. I will be there from 4th of, no, 7th of January till 11th of January. Everywhere they have a department store, a supermarket, which is selling bras. I have been there. Ah, uh, selling bras. Nice. Chris, cheers. Cheers. You know, I got married 77. No, sorry, 79. And uh, everybody thinks, since I got married to a Japanese girl, that was the reason, or she was the reason why I went to Japan. But that's not true at all. I met my, not my lady, my wife, in 79, but I have been in Japan the first time in 77. And uh, the reason why I went to Japan is very simple. Before I went to London, and I met a, I met a Japanese guy who was touring Europe. And he had so many interesting stories and he was such a nice guy. And he said, oh, why come over to Japan? So I said, okay, no problem. Yeah. At that time I was 23 years old. So everything was possible. It costed a hell of money, but with 23, you just don't care. You just do what you want to do. So I ended up in 77 in Japan for three weeks, visiting my friend. So he took care of me. When he was working from Monday till Friday, uh, he said, okay, why not uh, visit the southern part of Japan? 
So I just went to the station, bought a ticket to south of Japan, and first to Kyoto and Hiroshima, to south of Japan, and that was the end of the Shinkansen line. So I said, okay, now I'm in the most southern part of Japan, and uh, what I'm doing next, looking at the map, oh, Korea is quite close. Is there somewhere a ferry going to Korea? And I found that there's a ferry in Shimonoseki. Yep. So I said, okay, then I go to Korea. It's just about uh, two, three hundred kilometers away. And I jumped on the ferry and went to Korea for three or four days, then came back, and then I ran out of money. On the ship, I noticed, oh God, I need some money to go back to Tokyo. What can I do? So uh, since the, the nightlife and the bar life in, in Hiroshima, Kyoto, and all over Japan was very intensive at, this, at those days. But the, the Western whiskies, the Western, Western liquors have been very, very expensive. You had to pay for a bottle of whiskey, you had to pay, I don't know, 20,000 or 30,000 yen. I thought, okay, that's a good chance to make money because at that time you can get into Japan three bottles of whiskey, free of any duties. Still can. So You still can, even There was now. a group of Americans on the ship, on the ferry. I thought, I take three bottles and if I make some friends, and everybody takes three bottles, and after getting into Japan, they gave me the, give me the bottles, I'm going to sell the bottles. So I made a deal, I make friends with on the, on the ferries. I was very uh, entertaining all these uh, people on the ferry, and finally I asked them, okay, could you do me a favor, take three bottles of whiskey? And they did. So I had about when I came to Japan, I had about 30 bottles of whiskey in Shimonoseki. <laughs> and so I had 30 bottles of whiskey, which is uh, 20, 30,000 yen. What I kind of whiskey was it? Do you remember? Uh, Jack Daniels or Jack Daniel, Johnny Walker? Or Johnny Walker, Jack Daniels, all this famous stuff, okay. right? Yeah. Say in, on, on the ship, it was perhaps uh, $50. In Japan, I could sell it perhaps $100. So 30 times 50 is already $300. Perfect. So I was in, in Shimonoseki, and then I two or three, no, two Swedish friends. One friend from Norway, one guy from Sweden. So we get together and we went to all the bars and nightclubs in the cities in Kyoto, Hiroshima and Shimonoseki to sell our bloody whiskeys. It was not so easy. No, so I don't very, think so. Very often the ladies, uh, the mama-san in the bars, they felt sorry for us and invited us for some beer, yeah. free of charge. Nice. And, uh, you were how old? I was 20, 23. Okay. I was 23, uh, blonde, blue eyes, tall, slender. You still <laughs> so are. Again, again. <laughs> <laughs> but finally, after three days uh, visiting bars, we could get rid of our whiskeys and had enough money to go back to Tokyo. And in Tokyo, I had my friend who took care of me. And I had only good memories of Japan, good memories of Japan, also of Korea. I had only good memories of these four weeks in Asia. What was your first job in Japan? I was in Wella, you know Wella. Mm -hmm. and uh, I get, a shampoo uh, company? Yeah, yeah. Since I got married to a Japanese and uh, I had a very good impression uh, with uh, Japan uh, due to my holidays there, my friends, and I wanted to give it a try. I wanted to, to work in Japan. Yeah. I visited some lectures of businessmen, German companies who have been active in Japan. And there was uh, Dr. Schneiderwind, he was the director of Wella in charge for non-German Companies, yeah. non-German countries. Is Wella a German company? Yeah, yeah, okay. a German, very German uh, hair care company. I went there and I was very impressed by his speech. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, that's a good, I know his name. So I wrote him a letter. I didn't care. Nice. I was 23 years. Sure. And he was the number two guy of the huge $1 billion most famous hair care company in the whole world. Yep. 
for many people it was like a god, but me, 23 years, still, I, I didn't know what's a direct and all that stuff. I just saw, oh, that's an interesting man, interesting company, interesting story, so I want to work, so I write him a letter. Go for it. Right? Nice. Go for it. Yeah. And unbelievable, he wrote me immediately back and he said, oh, that's, uh, I'm very happy that you liked my, my uh, lecture and I'm impressed that you, as you in your age have been interesting in this very complex topic and I'm very impressed so why not visit me in Darmstadt in Heckwater. So at that time I had a used old 220 diesel Mercedes for a body for 6,000 uh, Deutschmark but I was confident this car could bring me these 300 kilometers up to the north to Darmstadt. For the first meeting I took my wife. You took your right? wife to the I meeting took me or to the wife. interview? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. I, I, I couldn't care. Right? And I, I didn't know anything, which was good. And then he came to the meeting room and then we talked about everything. We didn't talk about business, we didn't talk about my education, we didn't talk about nothing. He was a man who had a lot of hobbies and he, he was so happy that he finally met two people who listened to him. Okay. And we have been listening to him for two hours, three hours. He said, yes, uh, he is very impressed with us. I don't know why he's impressed with me, because I didn't talk at all. Okay. I was listening and I once in a while at the right moment, probably I said, yes, that's interesting. And I had some perhaps uh, intelligent questions. Very important. And finally he was very impressed and he immediately wrote a letter to his uh, subsidiary in Japan and said, I want to have this young man as a logistic uh, trainee in Japan. And that's the way how I came to Japan. <laughs> Did you speak oh. Japanese at all no, at that time? No, 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 no. What year was this? It was 1970, Nine? no, ni 1980 in uh, July. And there I was. Nice. A young guy, 20 at that time, 25 years old, in the Japanese subsidiary, Ovella. Very similar. I started my career as a professional <laughs> at 20 three or 24 years old as well. But I'd already been to Japan a few times as a student. Before? Yeah, I came okay. the first time when I was 16 uh, for about a month. And then I, after high school, when I was 18, I lived in Japan for a year and a half studying Japanese. Mm -hmm. And I graduated in 91. I've been in Japan ever since then. Changing gears a little bit here. The name of this restaurant is Schmatz. What does Schmatz mean you know, Schmatz. in German? If I make a sound, it's schmatz means the sound of when you eat. You make a sound when you're eating, when you're chewing, when you're enjoying the food, when you're... Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's schmatz. Schmatz. Enjoying food, making sound when you're enjoying food. It's like in the mid medieval. Yeah. In the medieval, there's a saying, if you do not, how do you say, gulping? Burp. Burp? Yeah. And fart? fart? Yeah. Then the food didn't taste well, yeah, right? It's, right. <laughs> that, that was in the middle. That's what I tell. Whenever I burp at I home and my wife says, burp. "Hey, that's rude," I always say, "Hey, honey, that's a sign of enjoyment. It's a sign so of you, deliciousness." You said, "Honey, you're not global." <laughs> exactly. Now the the story behind Schmatz. Uh, I met the president. I, yeah. I first I first came to Schmatz here in Shibuya four or five months ago, uh -huh, uh -huh. and I just felt something different here. By chance. By chance, yes. I just came here by chance. I like beer. You like oh, beer, right? Yeah, so yeah. it was a German beer restaurant. Yeah. So I came in here and it felt different. 
very friendly. They were very engaging. I mean, any Japanese restaurants you go to, I mean, they have great service and they're very polite. Yeah. But here was a little bit different. You know, if I made a joke or if I talked about something on the on the menu or asked a question, they were very quick to answer. They were quick to answer my joke or to give a joke back. You know, they offered me this free discount coupon and they have this happy hour and the beer is very inexpensive. And they had all these kind of hospitality aspects that I believe in that they were showing. And I, and so I asked, who owns this place? Is yeah. it owned by like Suntory or Kirin? Or, they said, no, no, a couple German guys. That's unbelievable. And I'm like, oh, really? I want to meet these guys. <laughs> so I called them, called them up. Really? Yeah. And I made an appointment <laughs> because I thought there could be some interesting promotional collaboration that we could do with them being a German company that I work for. So I wanted to meet these guys and I met them and they're very young. Well, I, I met, I just met, there's two owners. I met one and you I want to have him. Right? I went to the Nakameguro okay. uh, branch. Yes. And I want to have him definitely on this podcast very soon. It started off a few years ago. They did a food truck uh, selling sausages. And it sold really, really well. And so they decided to do a pop-up. I'm not telling his story the best yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he could yeah, tell yeah, it much yeah. better than me. But And it was very successful. Importing German beer. I mean, there's a lot of German restaurants, as you know. Right, I mean, you introduced many, me many, so, many, to many, some many, great many, German yeah. restaurants. But the beer that they serve at these German restaurants are typical German beer that they import. And it's very expensive. It's a 1,000 yen, 1,500 yen. Very limited. And very and expensive. Yeah, and so they didn't want to do that. So they took, they, first of all, they took German food recipes from their childhood that they remembered. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. And then they took German, traditional German beer recipes. They are brewing masters? These guys? Yeah. No, they're, uh, they're financial guys. Really? Yeah, they come from a oh, finance yeah. background. So they're not brew brewers? No, no. They're, they don't I'm even come from either. the hospitality or the restaurant industry. They're they finance no, guys. They're finance guys. Just a good idea. Perfect. Great idea, yes. Oh, unbelievable. I, I might be making some mistakes here, yeah, but anyway, okay, this is okay. just what I remember yeah, from okay. talking to them. Uh, for the beer, they, they took the recipes from Germany, uh -huh. but they found a craft brewery in Sapporo, okay. or Hokkaido, okay. as we okay. talked about earlier, to make the beer. Therefore, it's not so expensive. That's why they can offer happy hour a 350 yen beer. Unbelievable. Yeah. You never could do that with German imported beer. No way. No, it's impossible. No way. And now this, this restaurant, through a combination of great food, good beer, good prices. And hospitality. Very good value, for sure. Great hospitality. The location is unbelievable here. They're just it's taking unbelievable. off. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's a dream location for every retailer. Um, I think they're doing franchises. Probably they are finance guys. They, they, they have some targets. But I, sure. met, I met one of the owners. His name is Chris. Yeah. Just same. Great name. <laughs> Um, but he doesn't he doesn't come across at all like a finance guy. Really? No, no. He, he comes a across a lot as just a, a, a young guy that has, is, good ideas. has good ideas and he's he just does enjoying it. sharing his passion for great German food. To get a place in Parco, in the new Parco, yeah. can you imagine how many hundreds of companies want to go there? Right. And how many powerful companies want to go there? With well, the background of Kirin, Sapporo and all these sure. big giants in the beer business especially in the beer business. This was controlled until five, six years ago by these three or five, four giants. Right. There was no way to get this exposure and they did it. But I think that's a good example of how Japan might be changing is because oh, yeah. the owners of Parco or the real estate yeah. developers, they know what's hot right now. See? 
Were there any books about Japanese culture or anything about Japan that you read that had an influence on you? Actually, I was not such a keen reader. What I actually did is I went to a lot of lectures of people who have been working in Japan. Mm -hmm. Because when people talk about it's much more lively. Afterwards, you can ask questions and when you listen to somebody who talks about the experience... Well, that's storytelling 101 exactly, right there. Yeah, yeah. You've been in Japan for 40 years? 39 years, yeah. 39 years. If you were going to write a book about Japan, what would it be called? That's a good question. Actually, since I was in charge for certain companies and uh, also quite successful, I can say, I'm proud of it. Uh, there have been many people actually who offered to write a book. You've been offered to write a book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. many, many, many. Because cheers. cheers, cheers. Number two, pale ale. Very good. Yeah, I like Very this. This is my favorite one. Very good. Because uh, the reasons are, I've been here for 40 years, foreign companies, and okay, quite successful. That's the reason why certain companies or certain individuals wanted me to share this know-how with other people by the means of writing a book. I did not accept. Why? I say, look, you can write a lot of things in the book, but does it really help? It's a kind of expose yourself and you want to sell yourself how good you are, how great you are, and how ingenious you are. No, this never was my interest. The other question is, when I write the book and people read it, does it help? If somebody needs help, I can talk to them, I can make a speech, no problem. I would love to do that, no problem. But to write a book, no. It's the same when you, you want to acquire some knowledge. Nowadays, you don't have to go to the university. You can have free of charge. You get all the knowledge available in this world by yep. internet. The knowledge is nothing else than a tool. So you can acquire knowledge free of charge, but it doesn't give you any guarantee to be successful. There, there are a lot of intelligent people. There are a lot of people who have a tremendous knowledge, which does not mean that they are successful. It takes one more step to be successful, which does not mean yep. reading books is bad. Yeah. For sure, that uh, to have a lot of knowledge is definitely advantageous, for sure. I just want to say that reading books and acquiring knowledge by books is not a, a guarantee to success. True. Have you ever worked for a Japanese company? No. I, I think you, you did. Actually. I, I've, wor I've worked for two Japanese companies. But th that's, a, that's a tremendous treasure, I would say. Huh? For me, it was a great education, and luckily I did it when I was really young. When I first came to Japan, I was, as I said, in, or as I first came to Japan as a, as a professional at 23, I worked for a Japanese company for almost four years, a very large, it was a department store. At the time, it was the world's Which largest department very, store. Very, very conservative. Very conservative. I mean, I learned a lot about Japanese business culture. I learned a lot about Japanese culture in general. And you had to exercise a lot of discipline. Yeah, there was many, many days where I was like, this makes no sense. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing it like this? You know, it's, it was more about rules than results. When, when I was working for Wella, I, I came in when I was 23 years old, 25 years old. They didn't actually accept me. I was just a kind of trainee. You know, my boss at that time, a Japanese, he said, look, Chris, you are 25, you are too young. I, you should know that I only trust people who are older than 50 years old. Oh, jeez. Okay, I accepted it. At the end of the day, I think it was, it was great that I came into this country as nobody with 25 years old mm -hmm. because I learned how to listen, I learned how to understand, I learned how to 
make things get things done, adapting myself to a culture and find some way around. Yeah. It's perfect. When you were the president of Triumph and the president of Le Creuset, was your base language in the office, was it Japanese or was it English? No, Japanese. Japanese, Japanese. okay. Yeah. Only Japanese. We kept our company as Japanese as possible due to the very simple fact that as all our customers and uh, all the consumers, they're 99% uh, Japanese, but we have been in the consumer products industry and so there was no necessity to have a international management style. That was not a problem at all. I mean, nowadays there are some very, very intelligent companies like uh, Miki Tamisan with his Rakuten who keep the values of the Japanese uh, culture and society. But at the same time, he's very open and says, uh, without speaking English, you're the, to, to get the proper resources yeah. and to become global is impossible. They, he forces English. Yes. English is the, is the English basic is the corporate language, language. The corporate language, yes. In Japan. And that was unthinkable 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 Absolutely. years ago. Yeah, it'd be crazy. And these kind of companies are like Cyber Agent, uh, Mikitani, Rakuten. You have many companies like this. Not only financial uh, constellation, but also global exposure. They have to be global. Finally, the government accepted the necessity that the proficiency in English language has to be improved in this country. And there's an interesting ranking of uh, proficiency in English in Asia. Number one, that's based on the, how, do, how do you say this uh, proficiency? Uh, the, the like TOEIC? Yeah, like TOEIC, yeah. TOEFL, something like that? Number one, yeah. TOEFL, TOEIC. Number one is Singapore, as a matter of course. Number two is Philippines. Number three is I don't know what. And is there where? Are 18, I don't know which okay. number three or number four. And uh, there are 18 countries. The least one is North Korea. And next to least one is Japan. Can you imagine? Japan is number 17. Number 17. Number 16 is Taiwan, number 15 Taiwan? is South yeah. Taiwan? Number, they speak English quite well there. Taiwan, it's, it's, uh, it's a problem. Number 15 was South Korea. That was a, a ranking two years ago, one year ago, two years ago. And Japan was at the bottom. So something has to be done. So if the government does not take uh, initiative, the yeah. companies will take initiative, which is good. Cheers. Cheers. Schmatz. Sometimes when two foreigners speaking English together, we use Japanese words in our conversations because it's easier to say the Japanese word to explain the situation. And you cannot than to, translate. You cannot translate. But most of us know what right. it means. Right? Yeah, so if I say, oh, um, it's it's a bit menduksai. Exactly. There's really no great English. Menduksai is not complicated. I don't know how to translate right? menduksai. Yeah, it's, it's troublesome or it's, it's a hassle, too difficult to do yeah, or something yeah, like that, yeah. but that's one word. Yeah. There's a lot of these really kind of fun, unique Japanese words yeah. that we often use. Oh, yeah, yeah, do sure. you have a favorite my, Japanese my word? Favorite, my favorite, most favorite word is gambaru. Gambaru. <laughs> gambaru. Unbelievable. That's your favorite word. My favorite word. It's a virtue. It, it's you cannot translate it. it it's gambaru. Okay, some people might uh, not uh, might disagree with me, but yes, you know Germany. I'm from Bavaria, and my mother she's from Prussia, and the Prussians are very famous for being disciplined and. You know, the, Asia, the, the Japanese actually have been called the Prussians of Asia. It's the first time I've heard that. Yeah, it's, it's very, very famous. It's the Prussians of Asia. because I've often Prussia, heard that the Japanese are the Germans of Asia. Okay, Germans <laughs> in that play, at, the, at that time, uh, Bavaria was an own kingdom. Right. So Germany was identical to Prussia. Okay. And in Prussia also, the, the, the top virtue was discipline. Mm -hmm. I remember my, my mother actually told me, 
He said, you know, when I was a small kid, uh, her father was a very uh, high-ranked officer. She was a kid and it was raining. And she was said, no, it's raining. And her father said, what, is it painful? She said, no, then stop crying. <laughs> cold. So it's Log very logic. cold. It's all about it's discipline. It's gambaro. You don't complain. Yeah. Uh, and it's very close to this to this gambaro. Never give up. It's so full of meanings. However, I was talking to a, another friend of mine recently uh, on this podcast, and he said his least favorite Japanese word is gambaro. Is gambaro. Oh no, really? Yeah, because because <laughs> yeah, he said it has no meaning. It has no has no strength behind it because yeah. he was talking specifically about sales. So when he's talking to his salespeople yeah, yeah. and he says, you know, you haven't met your numbers this month, what are you going to do? And they go, Gambaro. So, once I understand it because when I remember meetings, in, especially in Triumph, the sales department manager said, hi, uh, the result is not good, but Gambarimas, I will endure Gambarimas. I said, don't, don't endure, just do it. Right, okay. So it was very frustrating, this Gambaro. Yeah. Okay, there's one part, but as, as a total, the, the word yeah. Gambaro means to endure. It means or to endure, to it also endure, means to make your to, most utmost effort. To go through hardship, to endure, to yes. hard efforts. And yeah. But very often, of course, it can be misused as an, as an excuse. Uh, I retired two years ago. Every single day, I spent one hour in learning kanji. How do you study it? Through a book? Flashcards? No, a book, book. Book and training, training, training. Uh, see, so you do training, read reading, books reading, sometimes. Reading. Yeah, okay, the kanji book. <laughs> and, you know, I'm now in, in the kanji number 800. Um, I forgot what, I used to study a lot of kanji too. I forgot what it is, but when you graduate high school, yeah. how many kanji should you know? Uh, according to the education, Minister of Education, yes. It should be 1,836 or 850. Something around, sounds, sounds right. right, yeah. And uh, it has been reduced before it was more than 2,000 and before it was even more. Yeah. When Japanese hear Japanese words, they envision in their brain exactly. the kanji. Exactly, where, exactly. you're completely right. Whereas you and me, when we're, we study Japanese, we memorize it by... Phonetically. Phonetically, phonetically. the pronunciation, but yes. Exactly. When, Exactly. That's, I never actually thought of it. But when a Japanese uh, hears something, immediately it's... Uh, it's a bit of a, oh, okay. Yeah, they draw the kanji like, like in the air with their like, finger, like right? Like a picture, like an image. Yes. Do you know the Japanese word for movement? Like the train is moving, the bus is moving. Movement. What, what's, the kan, what's the word for that? kanji is this one. You don't have to write it, but can you tell it to me? Close. Undo or unko. Unko. Right. What's the word for shit? Unko. Right. It's the same, right? You write it a different way. You completely write it a different way. But that's why when you're on the train and the and the announcement is, you know, the train is about to move. Mamunaku densha unko shimasu. Nobody cracks up laughing. Only the foreigners do. But that's right. That's right. That's hilarious. I love it. What's your greatest achievement in Japan? I'm very proud of it and uh, very simple. I came here as when I was 25 years old and I was told by my first boss that he starts to believe in people who are 50. He only trusts people who are 50. I was nothing, zero, zero. And I ended up as CEO of a big company. Very, very, very simple. Two big companies. Yeah, two big companies. And this I'm proud of. 
I made it all by myself. Yeah. And I remember when I came to Japan, my first salary, my first salary was 1.8 million yen. That was about $1,500. But I tell you, even the salary was $1,500. I enjoyed every single day of my life in Japan. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Congratulations, man. But you, you mentioned that you came here also at 23 or 25 and you started in Japanese companies. So yeah. I suppose you, you didn't, your first car was not a Rolls Royce, right? No, it was not. <laughs> no, I've never ever had an expat package. I've always been oh, yeah, hired yeah. locally. I've, each job that I've taken has always been a step up. A step up, exactly. Yes. How long did it take you to become fluent in Japanese? You know, that's all the advices I give to the, to the young guys. But when I look at myself, I came to Japan, I, my, my knowledge proficiency in Japanese was rather limited. So I would definitely nobody advise to do the same thing like I did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's too risky. Yeah. So no, no, to a certain extent, I, I was a little bit lucky, but uh, it worked out. If I would go back 40 years, I definitely would study Japanese before I come to Japan. It would have made my life much, much, much easier. Be confident and, and gambaru. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Really? Uh, what's your favorite restaurant in Japan? Very, very good question. I'm traveling a lot. I'm enjoying the whole world from middle America, America, everywhere in the whole world, Europe, Asia, everywhere. But I only like places where the food is good. Okay. And whenever I go to a place, actually last year, no, this year I was up in Spitsbergen. You know Spitsbergen. It's the most northern town, uh, the human settlement in the whole world. It's close to the North Pole. Okay. You never heard about it? What's the name? Spitsbergen. Spitsbergen? Yeah. Which country is it in? It's Norway. You go from the okay. most northern tip of Europe, you go another two hours flight up to the North Pole. And 900 kilometers south of the North Pole, you have this small city. It's 2,500, population of 2,500 people. You went there just for a restaurant? And why did I go there? Because I wanted to go where nobody else went. Very simple, very simple. And You wanted to I boldly knew, go where no human has been before. And I knew they had a German brewer, they had an original beer, they had a Spitsbergen beer. There's a German guy who is produced, brewing beer since five years. And they have a couple of good restaurants. And that was the reason I went there. All right, all right. So, so this is quite a build-up to my question that you're, that you're giving me here. What was your question? My question is Tokyo. <laughs> In Tokyo, Tokyo okay. what is your favorite restaurant? One of my favorite quintessence. Quintessence. Quintessence is the three Michelin, Michelin since uh, five years. A fairly young uh, chef. It's a French restaurant, and actually, this uh, belonged to the wife of Mikitani son of Rakuten before. <laughs> oh, really? Where so is it located? It's, it used to be in Shiroganedai, but mm -hmm. now I think it's somewhere in Hiro. So that's number one on the top. I believe that in business, you need, you need to have passion to be successful in what you do. If you look at your background, you've worked for a ladies' underwear company, mm -hmm. and you've worked for a company that produces pink cooking pots. Yep. How did you generate passion to be successful in both of those companies? When you look at my career, I started with Wella. It was shampoo. Then I went down from the head to the bra business, panty business. So the logical consequence would be the socks and shoe business. <laughs> okay. But I ended up in the cooking pot business. So I always say bras and cooking pots are quite similar. It's all measured by circumference. Circumference. Right? Nice. It's Software, hardware. I didn't care about the product at all. At the end of the day, whether you're selling 
cooking pots or bras or panties or French cake or schnitzel or beer or whatever. There are many, 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 many co uh, competitors and many, many, many people who want to have this product and can choose among many, many, many competitors. That's it. So you have to make a difference. You, that's it. So it's not the product. It, it's just by chance I ended up in all this pinky environment. Probably I, I will uh, create a beer, a pink beer. Pink, pink, pink beer doesn't exist yet, doesn't it? I mean, um, you have more experience in this area, so... I have more experience in beer. You're German. Okay, German, German beer is very conservative. It's the most, you know, in Germany, you don't have any craft beer. Craft beer is no way of being successful in Germany. Germany uh, Germans are too conservative in point of beer. Yeah. There's no craft beer. So Speaking of now, beer... Now, without, we, within 30 seconds, we came from software, hardware, circumference, cooking pots, brass, underwear, shampoos to draft beer, craft beer, it's unbelievable. And I think we need to order one more for the road. One for one the road, for sure. One, for sure. So we must say, what are you going to have? I think I, might, I, li I like this. You I like this one? This, yeah. Mina-chan. Onaji. Onaji It's funny when you talk about the past or experiences, or what we did the last uh, one hour or something, kind of conversation I, I love it because you just go through many years and you just consider things you never have been considering never thought about it you finally got some explanations to to questions yeah it's nice it's nice and that my friends was chris toma i told you he is a talker in fact we chatted for over two hours at one point even discussed opening a boutique hotel in tokyo together in the near future. But again, that might have just been the beers talking. Some of this edited content will probably end up in a future outtakes version of Business and Beers. Until then, this is Andrew Hankinson wishing you much business success and kanpai. Thanks a lot, everyone. Bye.